Well, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word uh, back to the book of Jonah. As we continue to look at Jonah, we continue to look at this reluctant prophet who is representing the nation of Israel right now as a, as a people who don't seem to be in alignment with what God wants in ministry. They don't seem to be in alignment with God, what God wants for the nations. And, and so God, through this reluctant prophet, is continuing to accomplish his purposes while at the same time holding up a mirror to the nation of Israel so that they might ask the question that, that God wants you and I to ask ourselves this morning. Do we want what God wants? Do we want what God wants? Let's begin reading um, at the, the, uh, in, uh, the verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of this disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless us with your word this morning and help us to have the humility not to sit in judgment over Jonah, but to recognize even within ourselves not only the capacity, but the actuality of how so frequently what we want does not align with what you are doing and how poorly we ourselves can respond. And yet may it be your grace and mercy 
that leads us to do this in the confidence of knowing that our standing in Christ does not change as we become more honest with ourselves. May your mercy lead us to look honestly. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What do we want? It is a question that has been spoken from this pulpit as we have been looking throughout this little book, this little book that is not about a fish. It includes a fish. The fish is a very small part. The bigger part is a reluctant prophet. A reluctant prophet who is hypocritical in his confession of faith. He knows the right theology. He even says the right theology. But he is not living the theology that he professes. He is not willing to forego the issues and the problems that he has with Nineveh. Now, as I have said from this pulpit, what makes this so difficult is that the problems that Jonah has with Nineveh are legitimate problems. They were a horrifically violent people. And they knew that about themselves. They they purposely discovered new ways in order to be more violent because they recognized that the more violent they were and look this is the ancient near east that was a violent world in general but they figured out the more violent we can be the the more the more scandalously violent we can be the easier it is to take over peoples that's what we're trying to accomplish so if this gets us there we're going to use these tactics they were a brutal people And the issues that Jonah has with them are legitimate issues. It's 1944, and Hitler has come to faith in Jesus Christ. How are you going to respond? He's just waged war throughout Europe, killing millions. And now he has decided that was evil and I embrace Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. How are you going to respond? Are you going to let go of all the experiences you have of the havoc he has wreaked and, and run up and hug his neck? Glad to receive you into the fold, brother. Is that what you're going to do with Hitler? What is being set before Jonah is to be the guy that goes to Hitler and gives him a chance to repent 
and to embrace Jesus by faith. It's a little more real now, isn't it? This is not an easy task that has been set before Jonah. He has legitimate issues and concerns, but he also does have some personal prejudices that are that are making it even harder for him to follow the Lord in such a difficult circumstance. You see, if the Ninevites actually repent, then according to the law in Deuteronomy, according to uh, what God says in Isaiah 56 that we read at the beginning of, of the service, if, if they repent of their sins and they respond to Yahweh with faith, guess what? They're in. They're as, they're as in as a Jew. Do you think that was easy for him to embrace? That not only is there the potential that they're going to repent of their sins, but there is the potential that I'm going to have to embrace them as a brother. What do we want? You see, what is happening here is that what Jonah wants and what God wants, they are not on the same page. And we already know that what God wants, he gets. And guess who also knows that what God wants, he gets? Jonah knows that. And I can almost hear Jonah saying, I know that you are that kind of God because, as you notice here from chapter 4, he, he is quoting from the passage in Exodus 34 that we read in the service. He is citing God's own self-description where God went to the people of Israel after they had committed horrible idolatry in erecting and worshiping the golden calf. And as Moses prays for the deliverance of God's people and God relents of, 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 of pouring out his wrath on that idolatry as he repents and instead reveals himself in an even more intimate and glorious way to Moses. As he relents and instead says, I will take up residence in this new tabernacle and I will go with you in your midst. And I will not harm you as we go. Jonah knows the history of Israel. He knows the story of the Exodus. He knows how God was gracious and merciful and how his loving kindness was poured out upon the nation of Israel time after time after time. He knows God is this way. And what is it because of, his, because of that knowledge? He's worried and concerned that God is not going to judge Nineveh. And he disagrees with God's plan. Now, I know that no one in this room has ever disagreed with God's plan on something. I know that every second of every day, the things that come into your life and that come into my life, we handle perfectly. 
I know, I have great confidence that what's going to happen tomorrow as you experience those things, you're going to whistle and say, thank you, Lord. And you're going to go about your day, oh, this is what you wanted for me. Okay. What do you want? You see, it's important for you to know what you want. Because when what you want rubs up against what God wants, he's going to win, you're going to lose. And how are you going to respond? Jonah gets angry. Now, I know no one in this room has ever gotten angry at God either. It's nice to see these things in Jonah so that we don't have to experience them ourselves. For those visiting, that's sarcasm. Just to be clear. What do you want? Do you know that the very first question that is recorded of what Jesus asks his very first disciples, do you know what the question is? What do you want? It's an important question. Now, a lot, I know a lot of times, especially in Reformed Christianity, we, we talk about not wanting things. But the reality is you can't not want because God designed you to be a wanter. He desired you to want because wanting is not wrong. It is not bad. The question is, what do we want and why do we want that? And what sin has done is it has twisted that, that thing within us that leads us to set our desires on things and leads us to desire things for the reasons that we desire them. They get twisted by sin, and we can't shut the mechanism down. But what God is doing and giving us a new heart in Jesus Christ is realigning that mechanism so that it can learn to be trained to improve on how it functions and what it wants and why it wants it. And so it is imperative for us to constantly and consistently ask ourselves, what do we want? And does what I want, does what we want, does it align with what God wants? There's a simple gospel that is being stated here as the reluctant prophet goes into Nineveh and begins to reluctantly communicate this message to the Ninevites. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown as our English text puts it, but quite literally that last word overthrown is Technically, it's just a, it's a word that is translated turned over. Now, in some contexts, it's a good thing to be turned over. Right? The Bible describes Israel in the Old Testament as like being bread that's been on, on one side of the oven for too long, and it needs to be turned over so that it can... Bake thoroughly. 
If you leave bread on, on only one side, then one side gets really, really burnt, and the rest of it doesn't really finish. But when you want to make good bread, you, you, you know, in, 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 uh, in the ancient Near East, you, you put it on the oven, and then you had to turn it over. Turning, being turned over is not necessarily a bad thing. It can be a good thing. And the way the Hebrew is written here is, is it's not clear exactly what is intended. Because what happened to the Ninevites when they repented? When they embraced the message of Yahweh, and as they put on sackcloth and ashes, and as the message, by the way, remember here, the message, it, the repentance doesn't start with the king. It reaches the king because it is spreading through the people. And so as, the, as repentance is spreading through the people, it eventually gets to the king. And then he, he offers some kind of official declaration. But make no mistake, it has started simply with the words that have come from the reluctant prophet's mouth. And those words are spreading and they're spreading and they're spreading. And they're, the effect here is unique. Because we have lots of testimony that in the ancient Near East that people, when, when they would be presented with messages from different gods, would often embrace that God. They would embrace this God, and then when this God came, they'd embrace that God too. And then when that goddess came, well, they embraced that goddess as well. They're just going to embrace everybody. But that embracing was simply, I'm, I'm going to receive what's there. But notice here, the call and the response here is not simply to, to receive what's there, but to respond with acknowledgement that what they had done was evil and they stopped. That is unique here for the ancient Near East as they embrace this message of Yahweh. So let me ask you, did the Ninevites repent? How thoroughly did they repent? It's almost cartoonish with hyperbole, right? Even the animals are repenting. Even the animals are putting on sackcloth and ashes. Even the animals are, are fasting in response to this, right? It's meant, as I said from the beginning, it's meant to be hyperbole that's meant to grab your attention. So thorough is the repentance that you might say that Nineveh has been turned over. That Nineveh has been turned upside down. So which is it? In 40 days, is it that God's going to turn you over in terms of overthrowing you? Or in 40 days, God is going to turn you over as he does an amazing work within your midst that you would never expect? Right now, throughout the global south, from nation to nation to nation, God is turning those different cultures upside down. 
because of the message of Jesus Christ that is being proclaimed and is being embraced by faith, and there are thousands coming to know Jesus Christ. VJ in Sunday School said right now there are 25,000 a day that are coming to know Christ over in his part of the world. Is that what you want? Now it's easy to say yes from where we sit in the comfort and the ease and the decadence of American culture. That when we, when we want that, do we want that in terms of realigning how we live, realigning the, the values by which we follow Christ, realigning what we consider important and what we don't, realigning how, how we live on a day-to-day basis as participants in what God is doing around the world? Are we ready to change the way that we pray? As 25,000 may come to embrace Jesus Christ right now, today, over in a world in which their embracing of Christ is going to lead them to be cut off from friends and family. That is going to lead them to become the objects of derision from their neighbors. Where, where their occupations and vocations will come into question because of the shunning that will take place as people are told, don't do business with him anymore, he's now a Christian. Are we ready to change our prayer practices? Are we ready to change what we do with our time, our treasures, and our talents as we embrace the global nature of God's heart? For sinners. Or do we, like Jonah, get tempted to reluctantly go along once God has, has closed off all the other opportunities and then just kind of say a few words and hope that the result is going to be judgment and not salvation? Beloved, you and I wrestle with this. We wrestle not only with the changes that this asks and requires of our daily living, it also is a challenge to us with how to partner with new Christians around the world that are not coming from the same tradition that you and I are coming from. As Levi said during Sunday school, when all these big numbers of new Christians are coming up and, and they lack uh, being rooted and grounded in the historic faith, one of the challenges that arises, little Levi said this, is the way that they follow Christ may, might look a lot different than how we follow Christ. Well, amen to that. That's a good thing. But so often we can see that as a challenge. Well, they name Jesus, but they don't do the same thing with their time and their treasures and their talents that I do. 
Maybe these new Christians have something to show me about how I'm supposed to follow Jesus. It's a wonderful challenge to have. But it's really important that as we continue to reflect and wrestle with God's scandalous grace, that we do so with humble hearts that are not just okay with, but who look for correction. It is exciting to see that people who are not tied to the same cultural sins that you and I are tied to, seeing them come to Christ and watching them follow Jesus and take up the cross with a whole different set of cultural sins that they're dealing with. Because make no mistake, regardless of where you come to Christ, you come to Christ as someone who has been soaking in that culture. And it's going to be part of you, especially in ways that you're not even aware, unless you allow God to to hold a mirror up to you with his word, where he says, "Here's, here's who I am. I am gracious and compassionate and merciful. Is this what you show of me in your day to day living? Here's me. I get excited and I start singing because I have removed my judgments against your sins and I get to have you as, as my children for the rest of eternity. I sing about that because I get excited about that. Do you get excited about that? Do you sing over what I am doing throughout the nations? Or do you tend to get caught up with things not going exactly the way that you had planned out in your five-year plan or your ten-year plan? Are you frustrated with me? Or are you excited about what I do even when it doesn't meet your expectations, or your preferences. Beloved, what do you want? God wants us to want him. And he has sent his son to bring about what a reluctant prophet could never accomplish. And the sign that our Savior has given us is the sign of Jonah. Three days in the darkness of death. And on the third day, a resurrection. And a new life. And a new ministry. And a new hope. And a new creation that is being accomplished and constrained. And the people of God who have the the oracles of God, who have the scriptures, who have the sacraments, it is so easy for us to lose sight of that bigger picture 
and to start seeing ourselves as as the true focus of God's ministry and to start seeing ourselves as the true those who are really worthy of God's uh, attention because of you know look at how we try to live for him where we get confused into thinking that God's purposes revolve around us rather than realizing that our participation gives us the opportunity to align our wants with his so that rather than watching God move and getting angry because we weren't part of it or because it doesn't look exactly the way we think it should look, what we get to do is learn to want what he wants, to celebrate what he's doing, and then manifest in our little worlds, we manifest the God who we know is gracious and merciful, who is slow to judgment, and who is quick to provide salvation to any, regardless of tribe, tongue, or nation, in which he will call out some from all of them, because he wants them. And so we are to learn to want them as well. Beloved, what do you want? Maybe you don't want what you think you want. Well, allow God to speak to you and to address those wants. Allow the sacrament to be that which you can touch and taste and smell, knowing that our God is near and is giving us the privilege to participate not only in the new life of his resurrected son, but the ministry of that resurrected son as you and I simply respond to God's word by embracing it for ourselves, embodying it in the way that we live, and then extending it to our neighbor, both here and abroad. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you do not let us rest in our preferences, that you do not let us rest in what is easy, but that also, Lord, you are compassionate towards us when we struggle to to live as a reflection of who you are, when we struggle to show the world who you are, when we struggle to even want to be conduits of your grace. You don't just cast us aside and and throw us under the bus. You, You nurture us as a heavenly father and you continue to help us to mature in Christ. And you lovingly confront our sins in order to help us wake up and realign ourselves with the desires of your heart which you have revealed in Scripture, even showing us the end result, that there are myriads and myriads and myriads, more than the grains of the sand of the shore, of brothers and sisters with us, having a shared life both now and forevermore. 
Father, help us to wake up from focusing and and desiring the wrong things or focusing and desiring temporary things and losing sight of the eternal. And so use this, this worship, use the sacrament, Lord, to do just that, that through the tangible to remind us of the eternal, that we would be reoriented once again as a heavenly people with a heavenly calling. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.